with that said, uh, this morning we are blessed to be able to uh, hear the ministry of, honestly, here's, what, here's what's happened. And just to kind of put it out there, you guys have been awesome givers. You guys have been, I mean, are just a blessing to the church, community, missions, all around. And so this last year as a board, uh, we looked and said, we have enough uh, in our budget to where we could either uh, we can either give all of our missionaries a little bit more or we can take on an extra missionary. And so we took a look. And if you guys remember a couple of years ago, we had Eric and Bethany Rasmussen here um, in the they're in the process of doing ministry in Tanzania. And now they have been in Tanzania. And when we were talking about it as a board and discussing it, uh, we thought of Eric and Bethany and the ministry that they're doing there. And so today we are blessed in that we get to have Eric here with us. So please welcome Eric Rasmussen. I promise you he is older than 30. Good morning. I'm actually 33, which a lot of people think is the age that Jesus was crucified at. So, I mean, you know, he was doing ministry for three years and he was younger than I am. So, you know, anyway, uh, that, let that blow your mind for a little bit, right? We often think of Jesus as kind of older, but he was a pretty young guy. Uh, so my name's Eric. It's an honor to be here with you guys today. Uh, my wife and our two daughters, unfortunately, weren't able to make it. Um, they... My daughters had a cold. Oh, there they are. Okay. Yeah, I left the pretty ones behind. Um, so this is my wife, Bethany. There's our first daughter, Leslie, and our second daughter, Junia, who was just born in July. Um, she is so cute. And my wife is a trooper. Um, she had, we went up to the hospital in the morning, and we were back home for dinner uh, after having Junia. Uh, she was just like, you know what, I'd rather sleep in my own bed. Uh, so she just went up there, had a baby, and came home. Um, yeah, I know. Tough Minnesota girl there. Uh, so we are in Tanzania. We're working out there. Um, we are doing work with Bible schools out in Tanzania, training East African pastors and missionaries. Uh, my wife is originally from the Twin Cities, so that's kind of our home base. We got married eight years ago, and we pastored in Hawaii for five years. And then after five years there, we were kind of praying, asking God, okay, do you want us to continue on here, or do you want us to do something else? And we felt that God was really putting on our hearts and calling us to go back to Tanzania, East Africa, which is actually where I grew up. My parents have been missionaries out there since 1983. Uh, working with training pastors, and now recently, more recently, training East Africans to go as missionaries to unreached people groups. Um, and if you can go to the next slide there. Okay, so this is, you see those two stars over in Kigoma? That's where we live, and we, we've got a Bible school over there where we train pastors. And then over in Dar es Salaam, which is the largest city in the country, we have a mission school where we train missionaries to go to unreached people groups. So I'm kind of back and forth between Kigoma and Dar es Salaam. My main role right now has been teaching. I'm kind of a Bible nerd. Um, actually, I'm a, a nerd in more ways than just the Bible, but that's one of the ways I'm a nerd. Um, and then if you can go to the next slide as well. 
Uh, so Sub-Saharan Africa is actually the fastest growing church in the world today. Uh, it's growing at an astronomical rate. Um, the next slide will show you kind of a little bit of that growth. Um, so currently, this, is, this was from 2015, the church in sub-Saharan Africa was about 26% of the world's population of Christians. Um, they're projecting that that is, that, that is going to continue to grow. Uh, the sub-Saharan African church is going to grow by about 50, 15 million per year over the next 40 years. Um, in just a few years ago, uh, Christianity in Africa surpassed Islam in Africa for the first time since like the early church. There were more Christians in Africa than there were Muslims, uh, which is amazing because in 1900, it was only about 1% of the African continent were Christians. And now it's over 50% of the continent of Africa are Christians. So it's growing so fast, and the need is huge. The need is huge. Um, in order to keep up with that growth, you need about 150,000 churches, new churches every year, just to keep up with caring for all of these new Christians. And in Africa, there's only one trained Christian worker for every 450,000 Christians. Okay? So that's not a lot. You think about... You know, one for every 450,000 Christians is trained, trained in her hermeneutics, theology, uh, even like Old Testament and New Testament survey. A lot of these guys, they're just doing it, they're going, they're learning by experience, but um, they really need training. In the U.S., it's one for every 235, okay? So just that puts it in a little bit of perspective. Um, and also in Africa, there are 900 unreached people groups. In just in North Africa, uh, so it's a it's a ripe mission field, and Tanzanians really do make great missionaries. They're really really good missionaries. I have one who's a personal friend of mine, Salmon, who was just a kid when I was out there, and now he's working with an unreached people group. Uh, he's doing like home Bible study groups with Muslims. He just kind of opens it up and says, "Hey, if you guys want to come and study and learn about the Bible, come on over." And he's had about, I think it's 20 Muslims who have been baptized. Um, he actually married a former Muslim who was like the daughter of the Shay, which is like the Muslim pastor of the village. Um, and so it's, it's just amazing to see once these guys get training in, in how to do cross-cultural ministry. Um, to us, we see Africa and we just think, you know, Africa, Africans. But they're like, no, 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 no. We're, we are all like different tribes, different nationalities different people groups. Um, so it, it, it takes some training to get them to go to these unreached people groups. And just within Tanzania, there are 24 unreached people groups. My dad was just at a conference in January uh, where he gathered together all the missionaries who've been trained through our mission school and sent out, and there were 42 uh, missionaries who are in the field working with an unreached people group, which... An unreached people group is basically a tribe or a group of people that has no church amongst them. There might be a church in the town, but none of the, none of the people from that tribe, the local tribe, goes there. It's all guests, okay? You're like having a church here in Esterville, but everybody who goes there is from, you know, out of state or out of, out of, uh, out of the Midwest. Only the Californians went there or something like that. 
Um, so that's what we do. If you want to go to the next slide there. Um, so there are 20 Bible schools in the East Africa area. Uh, we have Bible schools in Burundi, Rwanda, um, and Tanzania, and one in Congo as well. Um, and then one mission school. This is just a picture from our, um, our Bible school there in Kigoma. And uh, we had, this was a larger class. We had about 60 students in this class. Our last uh, diploma class was about 49 students. Um, if you can go to the next slide there. Do a little, where's Waldo in this picture? Uh, see if you can find me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is our diploma school. Uh, so this is kind of our, 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 our most basic class. It's a three-year program. They come for three uh, six-week sessions throughout the year. And they're working on biblical basics, learning to preach, learning to read the Bible. Uh, I, I've taught uh, Christian leadership, general epistles, church history, uh, just your kind of your core Bible curriculum. I'm going over that with these guys. And that's all done in Swahili, uh, which is the, the main language out there in Tanzania. Um, so I teach in Swahili, um, and it's been good. This was a picture of them. They had just gotten, uh, somebody had sponsored them to get, they all got a Bible with a, like kind of a, a concordance in it, and they also got an Arabic uh, a Swahili Arabic translation of the Bible to use for evangelism to Muslims. Um, so that was all of our students. And then the next slide is our degree school, and that's my wife Bethany. She is seven months pregnant there, and she's teaching uh, English grammar. Um, that's our and our degree school is taught in English because there's more resources available in English. Um, Part of the reason why it's so important to have teachers over there is in Swahili, there's not that much material for Swahili speakers. You can't really find like a commentary on James in Swahili. It's really hard to find all these commentaries, to find all this material in Swahili. Um, so a lot of it is taking things from English, putting it into Swahili for our students to be able to read. There are some people who are working on translation, um, but most people, even African writers, will often write in English um, so that their books can sell internationally. There's not a whole lot in Swahili. So in our degree school, uh, we do it in English. So they're also learning English during their diploma school sessions so that they can go on to learn uh, in our degree school. And then finally, there's a picture from our mission school. Uh, so these are all students who are tr learning missions with the goal of going to unreached people groups as missionaries. Um, and man, some of them go to hard, hard places, like really difficult places. Some of them, they go and they're living in a village and they're the only Christians in the whole village. Um, so it's, 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 definitely, uh, it's definitely tough. But they're, they sacrificially give and they sacrificially go. Um, next slide. Oh, I forgot to change that picture. That was Leslie when she was just a baby. She was so cute. Uh, bald as a cue ball, but absolutely adorable. Um, so you can find us on Facebook, or you can email us at ericandbethany at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our email list, uh, we send out newsletters every, 
couple months, three months, something like that. If you want to be on that list, uh, you can just shoot an email to that, that right there. Um, or I'll just have my notebook at the back if you want to just sign up by hand. You can do that as well, and I'll add you. Um, so that's us. That's what we're up to. We are so grateful to be partnering with you guys uh, in this work. Um, it's always so humbling to me to have people giving to our ministry who aren't necessarily like receiving anything in this life from our ministry. You know, I can understand like giving to your church where you're being fed, you're being uh, taken care of, and you're being raised up spiritually. But people who give to our ministry who aren't really receiving anything in this life from giving to our ministry, um, that's always just a humbling thing. And uh, we don't take that lightly. And we're just grateful. We're super, we are super grateful. And um, I, we, we absolutely love what we're doing. Uh, for me, it's like a dream job. Like I said, I'm an absolute Bible nerd. Um, I got to teach church history a couple months ago, and it was like the most fun I've ever had. I was just loving it. Every day I would come home and I was just like, oh, Bethany, that was awesome. That was so much fun. You know, challenging my students with, with tough questions, getting them to think outside the box, having them challenge me with tough questions. Um, it's just, it's been a blast. It's, I love it. It's great connecting with the students, watching them grow, watching them just um, grow in ministry, and, uh, and seeing what they do after they graduate from our school. Many of our students are already in ministry. Uh, some, our oldest student this last session, I think he was like 70 or 75, and our youngest was like 18 or something like that. So we have the whole gamut, which makes for some really, really fun class discussion. Because uh, you got your young idealist, and then you've got the guy who's been kicked around by the church for 40 years. Uh, and so it's, it's, been, it's been awesome. It's been really just a, uh, a huge joy. So thank you. Thank you all um, for partnering with us. Uh, we, were, we really have enjoyed. We've been here twice. Right? Uh, my wife and I came shortly after we got married, uh, before we moved to Hawaii to pastor. That's right. We were in Hawaii uh, pastoring. Um, I chase warm weather, you know, because this complexion was built for the tropical sun. Um, and uh, we were in Hawaii pastoring for five years, and we're just, we're grateful to be able to do what we're doing. Um, my wife was super sad that she could not come, so she just wanted to say that she's sorry she wasn't able to make it and wishes she could be here. Um, all right, let's pray, and then we're going to look at the Word here. Dear God, we just thank you for your Word. We thank you that you instruct us. We thank you that you build us up. We thank you that you haven't left us just to kind of guess and wonder and wander through life. But God, you've given us clear instruction, and you've given us clear revelation of your love for us, of your care for us. And so, God, we just pray that this morning you would speak to us. Help me, God. Help me to just be an instrument for you, and I pray, Lord, that you would build your church today. That you would build your church, God. That we would not leave the same way we came in. That we would bring every area of our life under your lordship, under your rule. Holy Spirit, come and touch us. Come and speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so a quick story, well, I've got two kids now, so every sermon illustration has to do with my kids, right? Um, but when Leslie, it, it's so funny to me watching kids 
learn to use their limbs is hilarious. Uh, it looks like somebody learning to use like a string puppet. Um, and, you know, their limbs are just going all over the place. Leslie, when she was about five months old, uh, this picture was taken when she was like six months old. But when she was about five months old, she was learning to just use her hands and to put her pacifier back in her mouth was the funniest thing. Um, she would take it, and the only way she could get it into her mouth was she had to take it, stretch her arm out absolutely straight, bring it in, run it down her face until she found her mouth. And if she missed, she had to go all the way back out, come back in, run it down her face until she got it in her mouth. And she would, we were on the airplane, and she must have done that four or five times, just like arm straight out, come down, poke herself in the eye, and then get it in. Um, and it was just hilarious. And, and I mean, I, I love watching Leslie, or I loved watching Leslie, and now I love watching my, my daughter, Junia, just like learning how to use their arms. Um, and their legs, because it's pretty complicated when you think about it, you know, just something like this, just like holding a pen and writing with a pen. Um, it's amazing that we're able to do that. All the, all the muscle function and mind function that has to go into something that it should be as simple. For me, it's not super simple because my handwriting is awful. Um, but something that, that we take for granted, that we think is so simple, is actually a very, very complicated movement. And it takes us a while to learn how to get all the parts of our body to work together in order to make something like that happen. Um, I love sports. I really do. Um, and my favorite sport is fencing. Uh, I told you I'm a nerd. Um, but, but in fencing... I did fencing for a couple years in high school, and then when we were in Hawaii for five years, I was actually a coach at the, at the high school there. And I love it because it's like your whole body has to move and work together in order to, not, and not just your body, but your, your mind has to be in the right place. You have to like, your whole self has to be just set in order to, to make it work. Same thing with like football. I mean, you think about like a quarterback in football. A quarterback in football is like the most demanding position of any sport because you're, you're watching the whole opposing team. You're watching the defense, how they're setting. You're watching what your players are all doing. And not only that, but you're throwing a, you know, you're throwing a ball at like 60 miles an hour onto a dime, you know, all of that within like two seconds. Um, and you're trying to do all of that. It's, it's amazing to me that we're able to coordinate all these different parts of our body, different parts of our mind, and able to do something like that. Basketball, that's a whole nother thing. Um, I'm not good at basketball, so we won't go there. But, uh, but I think that has a lot to do with maturity in our Christian walk, is being able to integrate all these different parts of life that seem like they're unrelated, disconnected, and being able to bring them all under the lordship of Christ. Being able to bring even, you know, we're, we're so good at compartmentalizing. Especially in, in the American church where we, we've got our church stuff, we've got our spiritual stuff, and then we've just got kind of the life stuff. And we really don't, we don't really want to ask God to get too involved in that. Because it's kind of like, we think it's kind of beneath him or something. Or we just want to keep it private. Um, but compartmentalization is like the enemy of Christian maturity. 
It's really the enemy of Christian maturity. Because when you can put God in a box and keep him out of the other parts of your life, um, it wreaks havoc on growth as a Christian. Uh, there's one example from the Bible that I always think of when I think of this compartmentalization. It comes from Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through uh, 14. So Paul's been kind of defending his ministry, and there's these people who've come into the Galatian church, and they're preaching, they're basically teaching them, you guys got to observe the whole law in order to be saved. And Paul, Paul is trying to counter that, and he, he gives this story basically to show that he's got authority in the church to, to, to make the claims that he's making. He points out this story where he actually opposes Peter to his face because Peter was compartmentalizing the gospel. He was taking the gospel and putting it off to the side and just um, not letting his whole life be changed by the gospel. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, it says this, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Um, and I'll go on to verse 16 here. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So here you've got Peter, right? The the. A, a pillar in the early church. And oftentimes we can kind of romanticize and, and kind of think that the early church, they had it all together. And we just got to get back to what the early church was like. The early church had its issues and plenty of them. And um, if you read any of the letters in depth, you'll see that the early church was not without its issues. And here we have Peter, one of the leaders in the church, has compartmentalized his life. So he's like, okay, we got the cross, we've got salvation. And then we've got, you know, who I sit with at lunch, okay? And he compartmentalized it and said, okay, you know, yes, Jesus died for my sins. He took away my sins. I'm not approved before God because of obey, obedience to the law or circumcision, but I'm approved because of grace. And yet when people from this one party who were really big on the Mosaic law showed up, um, Peter kind of caved to them. And he said, well, you know what? Okay, so we're saved by grace, but in order to be nice to these guys, I'll just I'll sit with them only. Which, in the early, for early Jews, to eat with Gentiles was like anathema. It was, you did not do that. It would make you unclean to be associated with Gentiles. And so he's basically caving back into the old way of life. And he's compartmentalizing his life. He's saying, look, okay, there's the gospel, and then there's just being respectful to people. And Paul is, Paul's words here, I love this saying, 
when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he confronted Peter to his face. And, and I think that that is really a great definition of immaturity. It's when our conduct is not in step with the truth of the gospel. What do I mean by that? We live under grace. We've been saved by grace. We, we have received love that we don't deserve. And so when we're not living that way, when we're not also giving out that love to people who don't deserve it, then we're living in a way that's not in step with the truth of the gospel. Whenever our conduct and our beliefs don't line up, um, we're, we've gotten out of step with the truth of the gospel. We've gotten out of step with, with God's love and God's message for the world. And it's so easy to do, right? So easy to do. And you know where I think we do this a lot is like in politics. We get out of step with the truth of the gospel, right? You know, we're, we're taught that we're supposed to love our enemies, that we're supposed to, you know, uh, pray for those who persecute us. But then when we start talking politics, it's like, oh man, that guy's the antichrist. And, or, or, or if you're in that party, you're definitely not, you know, you are going to hell, uh, if we can say that. But, but you know, we're, we're just like, we're, we can become so like vitriolic with our speech and get out of step with the gospel. We, we can become like, um, it's, it's almost like we're Christian over here and we're full of grace, we're full of love, but then when we turn to this area of our life, it's like a switch goes and we just, oh yeah, but you know, we don't want Jesus to get involved in this part. Um, and it, it's crazy to me uh, just how out of step we can become with the gospel. If we look also in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians was a, um, the, the Corinthian church was a messed up church. I mean, you had all sorts of crazy stuff going on in that church. You had divisions, you had fighting, you had hate, you had adultery, you had some sort of an incest thing going on there too, and yet they thought they were all that. They thought, man, we are super mature. We are like the super Christians. Why? Because they had the spiritual gifts. You know, they had the gifts of the Spirit, and so they were like, oh man, we have arrived. And Paul, when he is writing to the Corinthian church, they're expecting kind of this letter of, you know, patting them on the back saying, man, you guys are doing great. You guys are an example to the, the church of the world. And instead, this is what he says in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Whoa. Okay, so here, here are these Christians who think we've arrived. You know, we've got this super Christian freedom. We've got these gifts of the Spirit. And Paul, when he writes to them, he says, I couldn't address you guys as spiritual people. I had to address you guys as people of the flesh. Why? Because they were committing adultery, because they were smoking, because they were doing all this other stuff? Nope. That's not the reason at all. Like, that's the reason we would expect when we talk about a carnal Christian or someone who's like fall, backslidden, you know, we would expect, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're sleeping around, they're smoking dope, they're doing this, that, and the other. But look at what Paul says is the reason why he had to address them as carnal or as fleshly people. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready if you are still of the flesh. And here comes his, his uh, description of why they're still of the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Oof, man. So instead of, you know, instead of pointing out the, the really, really big sins that are happening in the church, Paul says, you guys have jealousy and strife. You guys are fighting. You guys are backbiting. You guys are going behind each other's backs and tearing down the church of God. Does that not prove that you guys are fleshly people? Leave these, you know, okay, sure, you, you guys speak in tongues. You guys prophesy. You guys have healings and those things going on there. But you guys are divided. You guys are fighting. You guys are hating one another. Um, and, and again, it's this idea of getting out of step with the truth of the gospel. Right? The truth of the gospel is that Christ died to save sinners of whom I'm the worst, and therefore I should be extending God's grace to everybody around me. Right? I should be extending God's grace to everybody around me. And yet, so often we can get out of step with that. We compartmentalize. Right? We compartmentalize it where we say, Okay, yeah, that's justification, that's salvation, but do you know what she did to me? Do you know what she said about me? Okay, and, and rather than loving, sacrificially loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're attacking them, tearing them down. And um, uh, Pastor Dave didn't ask me to say this, but I'm going to say it. I, I've been in contact with so many pastors during this COVID time, and pastors need a lot of prayer right now. Let me tell you, because it's like a lose-lose situation. Uh, because everybody's got an opinion about COVID. Everybody's got an opinion about politics. And it's not even an opinion anymore. It's like the word of God. Okay? And, uh, and so, uh, and a pastor, it's like, you know, if you, if you tell everybody we got to wear masks, then, you know, you've caved. You're, you're an agent of the Antichrist. You probably got the mark of the beast already. Um, and if you say we're not going to wear masks, then it's like, man, you don't care about people's lives. What's wrong with you? Okay, um, it's just kind of a lose-lose situation. And instead of being full of grace for one another, we're like attacking each other, tearing each other down. And you know, I, I, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying you can't have a stand. But just realize that there's probably like five other people who have the opposite stand as you in the church, and they're all also complaining to your pastor. Okay, um, so just, I mean, have some grace, have a lot of grace. It's been, these past two years have been rough for pastors. I like dodged a bullet, okay? I, I stopped pastoring in Hawaii in January and COVID hit in like March. And so, but the guy who filled in for me afterwards, you know, I know he's been dealing with stuff. But, but you know, we, we compartmentalize and we put aside the grace that we're supposed to show to each other. And we say, oh yeah, but this is serious. Okay, it's serious, but you know, the grace of God is also serious. And showing grace and love to one another, that's a serious, serious, serious thing. And and I, I always I always it always amazes me the thing that Paul points out as the cause of their carnality, the cause of them being fleshly Christians. He says it's because you guys have division, it's because you have strife, it's because you guys are fighting. And it's not the things that growing up in the church I heard a lot about, right? I, I can count on maybe one hand the number of times I've heard sermons talking about gossip, right? But I can, I mean, I don't even have enough digits to count all the times I've heard about smoking or, 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 um, or fornication or adultery or all those things. You know, those, we cover those a lot. 
But Paul here says that the evidence that these guys are fleshly Christians is the division that's in them. They're out of step with the gospel. They're not living in step with the truth of the gospel, the truth of what God is calling us to. Um, and, and one thing that always amazed me about that Galatians 2 passage is, is Paul doesn't tell Peter you're breaking the rules, right? He doesn't say you've broken the rules. You know, the rule is that we have to love everybody. He says they're out of step with the gospel. It's not just a rule. It's, it's a way of life. It's a way of living wisely. It's a way of allowing the gospel to change absolutely every part of us. In James chapter 3, James is like the, he cannot stand kind of this division between what we say and what we do. That's pretty much the theme of his whole book is you say you believe this, then do it, right? He's the one who famously makes up the word a doer, right? Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Um, but in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they may obey us, and we guide their whole body. Let's, let's uh, jump down to verse 9. With it, he's talking about the tongue here. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So here James is saying, look, out of the same mouth we're blessing God and cursing man. And what's his conclusion? This ought not to be so. He's saying we should be whole. We should be whole people. People who our whole life is transformed by the gospel. Um, man, parenting can really bring this out of you, right? Where you're just like, you know, God, help me, help me grow in patience. Help me grow in, in just uh, speaking kind words, loving words. And then you got, like, your kid is just driving you nuts, okay? We were in a hotel room the other day. And Leslie, adorable, sweet little Leslie, she was like a frat boy. Um, we had gotten Junia down. She was fast asleep. And Leslie was in her bed, almost asleep. And then I don't know what happened. But suddenly, I turn around, and she's like jumping on her bed, just swinging her stuffed animals and chucking them around the room. Just like, and, and Bethany's in the shower, and I'm there all by myself. I'm like, oh, Lord. Like, how am I going to calm her down? And she's just jumping up and down and screaming. And I'm like, you're going to wake the baby. And in that moment, it's so easy to just compartmentalize and say, okay, well, um, let's just put, you know, sanctification aside for a second while I deal with this crazy kid. Uh, and yet, James is saying that we need to be whole people, people who do not have two faces, people who are not two-faced. Uh, I love... Um, there's a, one of my favorite Abraham Lincoln quotes. Somebody had, uh, a running opponent had accused him of being two-faced. And he said, you think if I had a second face, I'd be wearing this one? Uh, but but um, C.S. Lewis once said that when he first came to Christ, he thought he had a little work to do here and there, 
right? He thought, man, I need to, I need to stop lying. I need to stop being angry. Um, and so he thought he just needed a little remodeling. And he said, but once Christ comes into your life, suddenly you find he's knocking out walls, right? You think you just need a little painting, a little touch up here and there. And then suddenly he's like putting his finger on stuff that you never thought was a problem. And he's saying, yeah, I want to deal with this too. I want to change this in you. I want, I want you to be transformed in this area. And, and it's so easy to, again, to just compartmentalize and say, yeah, but God, I don't want you to really touch that part of me. I'll give you control of my Sundays until noon. And then, you know, my Mondays, I need a day off, okay? But, but God wants to be involved in absolutely every part of our lives. He wants every part of our life to be in step with the gospel. Our entertainment, our family, our politics, our business. I, you know, when you're pastoring, you hear some crazy stuff. But, but I remember one time this guy was just talking to me about one of his business moves. And I said, man, that, that does not sound like a Christian thing to do. You know, he was going to stab somebody, basically take advantage of somebody and stab him in the back. And he was like, oh, but this is just business. This isn't church. I was like, mm, 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 mm. no, that's like compartmentalization to the max, right? Where you just take God and you say, okay, yeah, you know, capitalism, we got to just kind of work our way up, trot on, tread on other people. And, and where we're, we almost become like uh, evolutionists when it comes to, uh, when it comes to money and stuff, where it's like survival of the fittest, Right. The strong, will, the strong will prevail. And uh, that's not how a Christian has to live his life. And yeah, I mean, it's tough sometimes when you, when you can't make that sale or you can't make that deal because you know it's, gonna be, it's not going to glorify God. And yet we're called to invite God into every part of our life, every part of us. In Ephesians 5, it says, learn to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Learn to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God. That's not easy because we're trained our whole life to learn to walk in a manner that's pleasing to us. And even sometimes when we become Christians, we're still living in a manner that's pleasing to us, but we put a Christian stamp on it, right? That's what the prosperity gospel is. It's, it's still living, motivated by the flesh, right? To get, get, get. But we put a Christian stamp on it and we say, yeah, but I'm praying about it now. I'm praying that God will give me this, that, and the other. And it's not crucifying the flesh in any way. It's still about getting, it's still about materialism, and yet we're still living into that. We push into that. Romans chapter 12, we'll close with this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Okay? Now, the therefore there is, is talking about everything that Paul has talked about in Romans chapter 1 through 11, which is God's plan of salvation, God giving himself for us, God sacrificing himself for us. And he says, in view of this, in, in light of all of this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And again, we, we tend to separate those two, right? Paul says, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your, some translations say, acceptable form of worship. Some translations say, your spiritual worship. Now, we don't tend to think of our bodies as being part of spiritual worship. But the Bible connects the two. It says, you know what? What you do with your body, what you do with your, your, your 9 to 5, with your 24-7 body, that can be a spiritual act of worship. Even the most mundane task can be a spiritual act of worship. Um, you know, in the incarnation, when Christ came to earth, he demolished, he abolished the line between the sacred and the secular. Right? Because he put on a body. He, he became like us. And so he did away with this line between what's sacred and what's secular. And now Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And church, I, I really think that we would be a greater witness to the world if we fully embodied the gospel, if we got in step with the gospel. I think many times our witness breaks down because we, we live one way or we say one thing and we live a different way. Um, and, and we can do this because we believe in God. We believe in the goodness of God. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a pastor who is living basically under the Nazis, um, and he resisted the Nazis, but he one time, he said, only those who believe can obey, and only those who obey can believe, right? Only those who believe obey, and only those who obey believe. Meaning, like, if, if our life is out of step with the gospel, it means that the, the gospel hasn't truly gotten a hold of our hearts. It hasn't truly penetrated to the center of our being. And, and belief brings transformation, and obedience brings belief as well. You know, if you're, if you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling to believe God, it could be because you're not obeying. It could be because there's an area in your life where you haven't submitted to God. Um, Pastor Sam Snyder up in, up in uh, the Twin Cities from our, our, friend, our sending church, um, man, one of the most amazing things I think he ever said was, if you're having trouble hearing the voice of God, go back and do the last thing he asked you to do. Right? If you're having trouble hearing the voice of God, just go back and do the last thing he told you to do. Because oftentimes we've, we've muted, we've put the Holy Spirit on mute by disobedience. We're like, yeah, that's a tough thing. I'm just going to, next word, next word, God. You know, it's kind of like in, in a game where you're just like, pass, you know, next word. Um, but we can't do that with the Holy Spirit. And so if there's, a, if there's an area in your life that you've kind of shut God out or, or pushed God out and said, you know what? You can have my Sunday mornings, you can have my hands raised, you can have me kneeling before the altar, but when it comes to this thing, God, I don't know if I can submit this to you. And it could be any area. It could be your entertainment, it could be your family, it could be your temper, it could be your, your, the way we use our mouth. But God is calling us to be holy and whole. God wants us to be holy and whole, not people who have all these fractures within us but people that are whole and, and one in him. And so I, I really believe that that is what maturity looks like. It's when we, we, we are learning in every part of our life, right? Just like a baby learning to use their hands, right? Just like baby learning to use their limbs. It's, it's that whole thing of the whole body working together and working in fluidity and integrated. 
And so, so my encouragement to us this morning is just to, to examine our lives and see, is there a place where I have shut God out? Or is there a closet that I've closed and said, okay, God, you can have control of my whole life, but not this part. Or is there a place in our lives where we know God has called us to do something? God has called us to love somebody who's maybe unlovely. God has called us to share something with somebody who we really don't think has worked hard enough to get that. Or God has called us to show grace to somebody who has not shown us any grace at all. But we need to go and we need to live in step with the gospel, which means giving grace. And grace is something that we did not deserve and we never could have earned. And God calls us to step into that, to obey him in that. And, and only those who believe can obey. And those who obey, it's a sign of belief. Right? Abraham believed God, but he didn't just stay with, oh yeah, I believe you, God. When God tested his faith, Abraham responded with action. Right? And if Abraham had not responded with action, it would have meant that his belief wasn't real. And similarly, like when we're called, when our faith is tested, if we don't respond with action, it means that our faith isn't actually real. We just say we believe something. We're not actually believing it. And so, so this morning, I just want to pray over you guys, that God would make us whole people, that God would make us people who, who are, are not fragmented, not just compartmentalized, where we put God in, in the God box, and we think as long as we have God in, num, in place number one, we're good, right? We're putting God first. But then, but rather than putting God in a God box and saying this box is number one, allow God to occupy all of your boxes. Allow God to be a part of all of your boxes. Allow God to be a part of all of your life and to change you from the inside out. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us, who enlightens us who shows us where we have fallen short, where we are broken, where we need to be made whole, where we are fractured, and where we are living out of step with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten us. And God, I, I do thank you for your church too. I thank you for Paul, who was willing to speak to Peter and, and to call him out when he, when he wasn't walking according to the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to find people who we allow to speak into our lives, who we allow to, to help make us better, to coach us. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to mature, to grow, to not say we believe one thing and yet live in a contradictory manner. Like Peter, who said he believed that, that God's grace was for everyone, but then began to discriminate. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Open our eyes, show us. And thank you, God, that in you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In you, change is possible. Not change in our own strength, but change through your Holy Spirit. As we absolutely surrender to you, as we say, God, come into every part of my life, make me new. You flood in and you are willing to, to work with us, God. We thank you that your grace is sufficient and that in those areas, Lord, where we have held out for so long, you will come in and you will bring that transformation. You will bring the renovation that needs to happen in our lives. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that your grace is enough, that it is all sufficient, God. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.